bonus episode of Suds in the Squared Circle. My name is Vinny Apicella and today I have a very special uh, guest. I have the author of Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Fall of Ted Turner's WCW and he also just recently co-authored Grateful with Eric Bischoff, Eric Bischoff's second autobiography. I have got an interview with Guy Evans now, I do want to say today is the 11th of January, 2023. It's been a whirlwind, almost 24 hours for the world of professional wrestling, especially the WWE. I will get into that um, briefly before we get to the interview. Um, in the past, obviously, um, since Monday, obviously on Monday when I had the episode... We knew that Vince McMahon forced his way back into the board, the WWE Board of Directors. Uh, he and then the board unanimously voted to make him the new chief executive of the um, uh, of the board. Well, a chairman of the board. So that put Stephanie McMahon into a situation. Well, just yesterday at 6 p.m. 24 hours ago. Uh, from the time I'm recording, Stephanie McMahon officially resigned from the WWE. Now, if you remember back in May, before this whole thing started, Stephanie McMahon had taken a leave of absence for whatever reasons. Uh, the 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 uh, rumor was that because Triple H was still you know recovering from his cardiac event last year in 2021. But regardless of the point, she took a leave of absence to deal with personal stuff, family stuff. But then when everything, when the proverbial shit hit the fan in June, and then in July when Vince McMahon retired from the WWE, Stephanie McMahon became chairwoman and co-CEO with Nick Khan being the other co-CEO, and then Triple H was put as chief content officer overseeing talent and creative. And, and the WWE programming under Triple H's regime has been fantastic. He brought back a lot of the um, wrestlers that unfortunately were let go by Vince um, since 2022, or since 2020, I should say, uh, 2021, basically when Triple H had that cardiac event and they released so many people, Triple H brought them all, brought the most of them back. So now, fast forward to January of 2023, Vince is back in power Stephanie has resigned. Nick Khan is now the the sole CEO. Vince is the chairman again. Triple H is still as the chief content officer, and from all intents and purposes, he's going to stay that way. However, just overnight, like I've been up since one o'clock this morning because um, 
there have been, there were a lot of rumors last night. I don't know who was started. I, apparently some bozo on Reddit who was correct about Cody Rhodes jumping ship. Apparently he put out a post saying that WWE was sold. And then the rumor mills start that um, the WWE was sold to the Saudi Arabia public investment firm um, or public investment fund. And they were going to, you know, take it over and it was all but done and just needed some filings. Well, that did not happen. CNBC actually debunked that this morning and laughed at all the dirt sheet writers and everybody that ran with it. Um, basically saying that no. And, and nobody and, and everybody involved in WWE have said that there's no sale to Saudi Arabia nor anybody else. And not to mention, uh, sales like this would take months, if not longer. And it would probably be broken by a legitimate news company as opposed to somebody in the ref wrestling peripheral media, a.k.a. the dirt, seat, dirt sheets. So, rest assured, everything is kosher is going to be. Triple H is still in charge of creative, um, but it's, it's still a long time. Uh, when Guy and I talk in the interview, I kind of bring something similar up to him, and he said, basically... Uh, that's something he can't comment on because in the next 72 hours, all could be changing is changing again. So, um, stay tuned for that. Um, next Monday on the uh, 16th, we'll have another episode of Suds in the Squared Circle. But today, it's going to be a bonus episode. Here's my interview with Guy Evans, the author of Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Fall of Ted Turner's WCW, and the just recently the co-author of Grateful by Eric Bischoff. All right, so I am here with uh, author Guy Evans, who not only wrote the awesome book, Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Fall of Ted Turner's WCW, but also just recently, not only is re-releasing that book, but is also has also um, co-authored Eric Bischoff's Book, grateful guy welcome to suds in the squared circle thanks Vinny. it's a pleasure to be here uh so let's get into it um what got you i mean obviously you had met eric fishoff when you had uh done nitro the original book nitro um how was the process in uh getting another autobiography for him yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting story. I mean, I'm sure as some people who are listening to this, you know, may know, um, you know, Eric has obviously been very outspoken um, in terms of his praise for the Nitro book, which actually took me very much by surprise. I think if you go back and you read the book and you read some of the accounts that Eric himself has described as often not particularly favorable towards him and his tenure in WCW, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, keeping that in mind, I was, you know, as surprised as anyone else was when he came out with such strong support for the book, you know, upon its release. Um, you know, of course I, I interviewed him for it and, and didn't know, didn't know what to expect in terms of his reaction. So, um, you know, once that happened and, and he talked about it so favorably on his podcast, you know, that led to Eric, myself and, um, some other, you know, great luminaries from the WCW days uh, participating in a panel at the second StarCast convention, which, of course, yeah. you know, Conrad Thompson is 
um, you know, responsible for. And that was in Las Vegas in 2019. And, you know, at that panel, we talked about WCW, we talked about the Nitro book, and afterwards, you know, Eric and I um, spoke for a few minutes. And, you know, it was clear by that point that there was a lot of mutual respect between us. Um, you know, I think he very much respected the job that I did with the book. And, you know, I was very respectful of the fact that he was able to separate, um, you know, his feelings about some of the things that people have to say in the book from his wider analysis of it. So, um, you know, we just kept in touch after that and, and kept talking over the phone and by email. And finally, uh, around sort of 2021, um, early 2021, I, I said to him, you know, have you ever thought about writing another book? Because Controversy Creates Cash was very well received and, you know, a lot has happened, you know, since 2006 right. when that book book was published, not only uh, with respect to Eric's life in and outside of the wrestling business, but also um, with regards to the wrestling business as a whole. So it just kind of evolved really out of the, the Nitro book and my experiences talking to him. And, you know, we're, we're very happy with the, uh, the end product. Yeah. I, uh, when I heard it, I mean, I'm a huge Eric Bischoff fan uh, growing up, mm-hmm. obviously in the nineties, myself being a huge NWO fan grew up right during that time of the Monday Night Wars, the Attitude Era, that whole time frame. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for Eric. So I loved Controversy Trace Cast myself. So when I heard about Grateful, I was one of the first people that pre-ordered it, got the copy that was signed by both you and Eric. Um, oh, and uh, no, i in the middle of reading it now, and it's, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I want to I want to say, you know, thank you, because the way that you have uh, of your storytelling and your writing and the amount of work that goes into your books, it's fascinating. It makes you feel like you really know the people. Well, I appreciate that, Vinny. You know, and hearing comments like that, it makes it all worthwhile, you know, in terms of the, the work that it takes to put together something like this. And I appreciate you being one of the people who pre-ordered the book as well. Um yeah, it was a, it was a fascinating, you know, process working with Eric on this book because I think we had a very firm grasp of where the story was going to end. We knew that we wanted to tell the story of his last 15 years kind of culminating in his Hall of Fame induction, mm-hmm. um, you know, in 2021. So we we knew when we were kind of outlining the book and when I was interviewing him for it, we knew where we were going, we knew what our destination was. Um, but it, w- it wasn't clear at the start exactly how we would get there. But, you know, the more that I spoke to him and the more we kind of delve deeper on a lot of subjects that I think it's fair to say he hasn't talked about much. Um, you know, I think there's some some subjects in the book that obviously, if you've listened to his podcasts over the years, you know, he's he's definitely touched on in great detail. But I think there's some other areas that maybe he's only kind of alluded to or maybe even not even, you know, dis- discussed uh, publicly before. So as we started to delve into more of those areas, I think we both got a very firm sense of, of what the story was that we were going to be telling. And um, I'm glad that you picked up on the fact that, you know, there's a, a lot of work that goes into that. So I appreciate it. Yeah, it really is. I mean, with the with the Nitro book, just kind of rewinding back to Nitro, you did something like over 100 interviews. Is that correct? With 100 different people from the Turner, Turner company? Yeah, that's right. I think uh, the final number was something like over 120. I'm not even sure what the final number was, but yeah, that's that's right. So, I mean, that amount of time just, you know, whether even if it's just phone interviews, but that amount of chunk of time to put it together 
and I and I know that I'm sure there was times where you actually met people in person. So the mm-hmm. travel, the expense, just everything—it's a. I have a lot of respect for people who put that much into their work, and obviously the the results are there. Well, I think what it comes down to, Vinny, is you don't want to shortchange the reader because we live in a world now where there are so many options as far as how people could spend their time. There's so many entertainment options specifically. And the way that I feel about it is if someone's going to spend their money and invest their time in sitting down and reading a book that I'm part of, you know, I want them to go away feeling like they got their money's worth and feeling like this was a good investment of their time. And um, a big part of that is always keeping in mind the fact that, you know, you, you have to present the reader, I think. And I think that the same could be said for doing a podcast or, you know, uh, any any form of media, really, any form of entertainment. You want to try to present uh, the, the consumer, the end user, with something different. And, you know, that was kind of the, the key word that Eric and I kept going back to with this book. And it's certainly what I kept in mind with the Nitro book as well is, you know, how is this book going to be different from all the other books out there in this particular genre? And I think hopefully you'll see by the time you get to the end of Grateful, when you close the uh, the book on that last page, you'll hopefully go away and say, you know what, this was a very unique book compared to um, the other books in the genre. Absolutely. And I, I could point out one specific item of the book that, mm-hmm. that I've never seen before is at the end of every chapter, there's a QR code for people to scan with their, you know, cell phones, tablets, what have you, and get extra content that's either visual-based, whether it's a recording, a video, or even just extra part to that chapter. Um, um, that's something I've never seen before. Yeah, and I have to, um, you know, give Eric credit for that. I know that he's kind of talked about what his inspiration was for that idea. He um, actually got that, that idea from another author, um, but when he presented that idea to me, I, I said, well, you know, that's, that's brilliant because, again, we're ticking that box in terms of how this book is going to be different. So, um, you know, I know some people who have read the book, they said they decided to read the whole thing and then go back and listen to the bonus content. I know other people are kind of taking it one chapter at a time. But I think however you approach it is something, again, that's unique and it will definitely enhance people's enjoyment of the book. Yeah, and it does, and it provides more insight. And for, for and it really is a multimedia book. I mean, mm-hmm. if, even if you buy the physical book where you're reading the pages, which is something that I like, um, mm-hmm. I, I like knowing, you know, because you see the progress that you're making as opposed to an e-reader. But even with the e-reader, with a, like a Kindle or what have you, just to have that extra bit at the end of every chapter to say, you know what, I'm done with this chapter, Um Here's some more. And even like right mm-hmm. off the bat in the first chapter, there's a, you know, just some dialogue, a video dialogue between you and Eric. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, you'll see throughout, you know, the, the various chapters that Eric and I, um, at different points in the book, will kind of touch base and give people some bonus content. And then there's some other people um, from his past and from his present, you know, who chime in as well. People that are mentioned in the book, whether they be family members, um, whether they be people that he's, he's uh, worked with in the business before. Um, I know that one interview that is certainly getting a lot of positive reaction is um, Lex Luger, who um, actually is one of the bonus interviewees for a couple of chapters. So um, just uh, another another reason, really, if you're thinking about getting the book, to uh, to check it out. Absolutely. I, I really uh, 
I really enjoy it. So with with the release of Grateful, it was also, uh, from what I saw, it was also announced, was a re-release of uh, Nitro, the mm-hmm. incredible rise and inevitable fall of Ted Turner's WCW that's newly expanded. So what what extra work could you have possibly put into that, which is already a compendium of WCW? Well, to tell you the truth, I mean, so when the, the Nitro book came out in 2018, it was uh, 592 pages, I believe, in yeah. the end. And that was actually, um, let's put it this way, the book could have been much longer. I, I actually had, oh, to I cut down, yeah, I had, had to cut down quite a lot for the book to actually come out. Um, and so part of the motivation to do a re-release of the book was, you know, there were some things that um, we couldn't quite fit into the first book that we thought would be appropriate to expand on now. Um, you know, again, as I mentioned, in this intervening period between the book coming out and today, um, you know, Eric and I have continued to, to stay in touch. And, um, you know, he was, uh, you know, kind enough to actually write a, a new forward for the book. So we have that in there as well. Um, I thought it would be interesting for people to see a little bit more of some of the, the documents and show formats. And um, I think we even have in there um, a strategic plan that um, was uh, presented with respect to WCW prior to 1996. So, you know, obviously that was a very important year in the company's history, and mm-hmm. you can see see that entire document in the re-release of the book. Um, so I think, you know, for people who enjoyed the first book, we're really just just expanding things and, and giving them more to look at. Um, probably my favorite feature is the fact that there's over 100 additional footnotes as well to the original story. So what you'll find is every two or three pages, um, there'll be a footnote at the bottom of the page that will kind of give you a tidbit that wasn't in the original book or maybe expand on something. Or even in rare cases, you know, there are some things that were mentioned in the first book that since, you know, more information has come to light about. So um, having the ability to add those footnotes has, has allowed me to expand on the story in that way as well. That's fantastic. I'm I'm waiting it. I'm waiting for my copy. I did order it. It has shipped out, so that, I haven't gotten it yet. But I'm anxiously awaiting for it. Um, awesome. Yeah. No. I. You know. I've been a huge wrestling fan myself, and as a matter of fact, just kind of branching out. One of my one of my uh, uh, motivations behind my new podcast because we did talk previously on my previous podcast called yeah. The Sports Wire. Um, my new podcast called Subs in the Square Circle. I basically take a wrestling style look at soap operas because I'm a huge general hospital fan as well. So mm. um, there's a lot of similarities between the two genres. So mm. my question to you is, um, I'm, I'm assuming you are a lifelong wrestling fan. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say certainly more of a fan of how it used to be, but you know, I yeah. definitely keep keep up with it for sure. Yeah. Okay, so so going back to the WCW era, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Monday Night War era to today, what are some of the similarities and differences that you, coming from your writer's view, that, you know, you studied WCW, you, you studied all that, now looking at it today, and uh, we're not even going to talk about what happened in the past 24 hours, um, <laughs> but what happened today, uh, you know, what's going on today, how do you see the industry changing? Well, to me, you know, I think the most obvious change that comes to mind, and there are many, is the fact that there's no longer such a strong correlation between the creative 
output of the various wrestling companies and their financial performance. So if you think about during the Monday Night Wars era, um, you know, the, the, the ticket sales were a huge source of revenue for both, both right. of the major companies and of course their pay-per-views as well. And in large part, although, you know, you could certainly make an argument there are a lot of ancillary factors that go into that, for example, you know, marketing and promotion and so on, but in large part, um, you know, those streams of revenue are really a function of or were a function of back then the strength of the storylines, right? So, you know, when WCW was running hot with the NWO storyline, for example, you know, and I think Eric has even talked about this, in fact, in our new book, kind of reflecting on that time, you know, the way that he describes it is essentially, you know, the company could do no wrong, right? There there was a, a period there where basically everything that they touched, creatively speaking, turned to gold and, you know, the, the, the company was selling out arenas left and right. The pay-per-views were doing just extraordinary uh, numbers. And, of course, the television ratings were very, very impressive as well. Um, you know, the situation that the industry, I think, finds itself in today, if you look at WWE, for example, um, it's, it's, they're not living and dying by the strength of their creative output, by their storylines anymore. Um, you know, you just look at the, the TV rights fees, for example. You, you can make the argument that, of course, they have to ensure that the program is, is compelling in order to um, secure that, that next deal when it, when it comes time to renew. Um, but so much of their revenue is, is effectively fixed, whether it be from the television partner, whether it, it comes from, you know, uh, the historical or legacy content that's accessible via the network or, or Peacock now. You look at the deal they, they have with, uh, with Saudi Arabia for, for, you know, an amount of money that would be unthinkable back in the, in the Monday Night Wars era. Um, and it, it's less, less about, um, you know, the, the week to week ability of a wrestling company to hook its right. viewers on, on, you know, really enticing, compelling storylines. Um, I think the industry has kind of uh, evolved or, or changed in, in the direction of, you know, how do we leverage our historical sort of cachet? How do we leverage the content that we have? How do we leverage, um, you know, our ability to um, provide content for, for a provider um, as opposed to, you know, the living and dying by their, their creatives? So, you know, I was someone who, you know, I, I followed very closely back in the Monday Night Wars era, after WCW was sold, I think I stuck around for about a year, um, didn't watch, didn't really pay attention that much for the best part of about a decade. Um, and, you know, when I came back to it, that was probably the one of the biggest changes that I observed um, among many, and we could probably talk about many more, but I think that's that's the number one thing that jumps out to me. And you're, you're, you're absolutely spot on with that. I mean, listening to multiple podcasts and especially a lot of the – quote-unquote, old-timers that were around back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, um, the revenue stream was the live events and the merchandise. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Their TV was specifically a, quote-unquote, commercial for to get people into the live events. Correct. Uh, and now you're absolutely right. The media rights fees are all there, and their live events are so much less, and COVID, did, the pandemic, did a big hit. On that, and I think coming out the other end of the pandemic, they realized uh, there's no need for as many live events anymore. That's right, and I, I think another you know key difference, as far as I 
can see as far as I can tell as well is sort of the nature of the wrestling fan. So I think mm-hmm. back then, if, if we were to reflect on, you know, the mid to late nineties, you know, I grew up on the other side of the pond, so to speak, but wrestling, you know, for us as it was in the States was a, a huge, you know, mainstream thing back then as well. And I think what you saw was, um, it, w- it was more prevalent back then to have someone who was a fan of dare I say, you know, more legitimate sports, right? Right. Uh, yeah. Who was who was also a wrestling fan. So they might, you know, watch the NFL, they might watch the NBA, they might watch boxing, and then they're a fan of pro wrestling. Um, and I think that was kind of evident when you look at the the crowd reactions from some of the most famous moments that we remember from back then. You know, quite often the fans are reacting as they would at a sporting event, right? Right. Um, that's not to suggest that the people in the crowd, you know, believe what they were seeing was, was on par in terms of its reality with a legitimate sport, but mm-hmm. they were playing the role of a fan in the same kind of way. And of course there were, you know, a percentage of, um, fans who, uh, you know, clearly were more informed as to what they were seeing and what was going on behind the scenes and you know the internet wrestling community and everything else was kind of in its infancy back then but i think what you see today is really kind of a convergence of those worlds um relative to you know the internet and then um you know the audience where you know i would say it's hard to put a number on it but uh you know a large majority of those people paying money to see wrestling today are very well informed about the behind yeah. the scenes behind the scenes uh you know happenings in in a particular uh company and they're, they're very well informed about you know what's going on and how things work uh, to a level that wasn't the case back then um and i think one of the downsides of that unfortunately and again this is in my opinion but this is just kind of what i see is that um, the, the the crowd reactions and the level of involvement um, on the part of the crowd is is nowhere near what it used to be back then. And I think I, I would personally like to see the wrestling business, um, you know, try to attract some of those some of those people who are not necessarily ardent wrestling fans. But the more that I think about it, and the more that I talk about it with others, um, you know, that may not be possible at this point, right? You think about just how how much the media landscape has changed. You think about, uh, you know, technologically how different things are right now. You think about the fact that the whole idea of something being mainstream, I would argue, doesn't particularly exist in 2023, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's so many subcultures and forms of entertainment that are incredibly popular to, it seems like, uh, you know, small numbers of people. Um, so I'm not necessarily sure that we'll ever kind of see that again um, but again as I mentioned you know having taken a break for quite a long time from watching wrestling when I got back to it I was just kind of stunned at how different the, the crowd reactions were and I think uh, you know some of the things I talked about probably contributed to that. Oh absolutely and with the you know with the advent of social media you know you talked about fan engagement um, I could understand where you know, the engagement at the, at the shows isn't what it used to be, but the engagement behind the scenes with, you know, it's, it's harder to, and I think this is where, where it comes from. It's harder to suspend disbelief, mm-hmm. um, as a fan, uh, with social media and everybody's on there and without, for lack of a better term, 
not many wrestlers stay in character on social media. There's mm-hmm. a handful of them uh, that, that do, uh, MJF being one of them. Um, but outside of that, when you look at a guy on TV who you can't stand, and I think this is where it ties into um, other forms of media, is that you're watching TV, you're watching a show, let's say uh, Yellowstone or even General Hospital, um, with what I deal with, you look at the char- you look at the characters on TV, and you know that's not them in real life. Mm-hmm. Wrestling has always been that different form of entertainment. Where back in the day before social media, if you weren't quote unquote in the know, you believed that you know King Kong Bundy really wanted to go after Hulk Hogan, or <laughs> you know even you know. Uh, forward a little bit more, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, and, you know, they were competing for that title. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it's that, it, it's that, that veil of dis, uh, of disbelief that, that has been lifted for good now, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you think about when Randy Savage was on the Arsenio Hall show, he didn't go on as Randy Poffo playing... Right who plays the Macho Man, right? right you know, exactly. he, he, he went on there in, in full full gimmick, so to speak, and portraying the character that he has on television. And, you know, I think that kind of speaks to the fact that wrestling always occupied this particular space that was unique to itself. And right. there were a lot of disadvantages that, that came with that, but there were also some advantages as well, which, um, you know, again, for the reasons that you mentioned there, you know, I think... Um, have kind of been been lost to history now. I think it's, you know, now that we've gone down this road of, um, you know, wrestlers seemingly talking about their performance, and I know it's cliche to say this, you hear so many people say it, yeah. but the fact that you see, you know, wrestlers occasionally thanking their opponent for a great match and things like that, right. um, you know, it's kind of like a death by a thousand cuts. I think every time one of those things happens, it just erodes a little bit more of that, um, that aura and that mystique that, that used to surround the business, I think. And, and I, and I think that's what it boils down to. Even so far as somebody like, uh, and I'll, and I'll use him as an example, Baron Corbin, who is obviously mm. one of the most despised heels on TV. He's posting up some of the, of, of his, uh, of his meals that he's growing and, you know, <laughs> showing up his chef skills. And it's like, how could I hate somebody like that? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it, it does. It, it makes the wrestlers in that in that genre of they're just actors portraying their characters, which we all know it's always been that way. But that level of disbelief just was always there. Um, but I wanted to actually touch base on um, going. I mean, obviously, you pay attention to a lot of what's going on, and. Um, as I brought up the last 24 hours, um, this, even in the past six months with Vince McMahon stepping down from WWE, Stephanie McMahon, Triple H, Nick Khan taking those roles of power. And then fast forward now up until yesterday, you know, Vince McMahon comes back. Stephanie McMahon steps down. What do you see in the wrestling business? Even by the end of 23, do you think we're going to have a, a book called Raws of Rise and Fall of <laughs> Vince McMahon's WWE? 
Well, I'm very hesitant to answer that question. Vinny. I think that, that might be that might be the one question I might have to dodge on, simply because, and we kind of joked about this, you know, before you hit record. Um, if we were to do this interview 72 hours from now, it'll probably be a completely different picture. So, you know, just like everyone else, I'm I'm very interested and enthralled about all of the uh, the news that's coming out, and very intrigued in terms of you know where things are going. You know, I will say, I will say this. I, I specifically remember doing an interview for the Nitro book around the time that it came out. So this would have been 2018. And one of the questions was, you know, do you think the McMahons will ever sell, uh, the WWE? And I remember saying at the time, you know, you know, that's just, it's very hard to imagine something like that happening. Um, you know, just purely, based on the fact that, you know, this is a company that has such a historical lineage, you know, it's meant so much to, you know, the McMahon family. And you think about Vince McMahon specifically, he's invested his entire life's work into, you know, building that company and building that brand. You know, at the time I said, I, I really just, I struggled to, to see that. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. a more like, I, I thought at the time a more likely scenario was, you know, inevitably it would get to a point he was already in his early 70s at that stage, so I thought, right. you know, it's going to get to a point where he's going to become too old, essentially, to have any involvement in the company, and, you know, he'll hand things over to his, his children. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, clearly that's not what's happened. So, um, yeah, I, I think if we were to touch base in a few days or in a week or a month, uh, it'll be a completely different picture. So who knows where this thing's going, really? Yeah, and, and that's that's true. It's- taking everybody for a whirlwind, um, just following it. Even, you know, and it's amazing because the majority of um, the majority of the storylines play out on TV in the ring. This storyline is in the boardroom and it's staying yeah. back and forth. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but um, I know that you're on the tight schedule. I want to be, I want to thank you and I'm always appreciative and respect your time. I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, but again, you know, uh, co-authoring Grateful with Eric Bischoff, as well as re-releasing an expanded version of Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Fall of Ted Turner's WCW. Um, Guy, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, let, let our listeners know where they could find you on, um, on social media and um, how, to get, uh, how to get the books. Yeah, well... First of all, thank you, Vinny, for the invite. You know, anytime you want to have me back on, please just give me a shout. And, you know, I appreciate your support in terms of, you know, pre-ordering Grateful and also checking out the expanded Nitro book. That means a lot as well. Um, so the best place people can go if you're interested in either book, um, Grateful that just came out or the expanded version of Nitro, you can just go to GuyEvansBooks.com uh, and there'll be a link there to purchase whatever edition you want of the book. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter um, at Guy Evans Books. So um, I would definitely, you know, follow that as the year goes on because I'm hoping that, you know, as we go through 2023, I'll be able to um, provide some kind of exciting updates in terms of what I have coming next as well. So um, those are the best best places to check me out. And again, uh, I appreciate the time, Vinny. Thank you. All right, Guy. Thank you very much, Guy Evans author uh, of Nitro, The Inevitable, uh, the Incredible Rise and Inevitable Fall of Ted Turner's WCW, as well as co-authoring 
grateful over there. Bischoff, guys, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.